As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. the total soccer show weekend review in the north london derby the points were split between the red and white jerseys arsenal were artful and spurs were anything but spursy bruno scored a beauty and newcastle had goals with eight different men and it was a day ending in why so chelsea lost again barcelona <laughs> staged a huge comeback and their signing still looked shrewd while real madrid went across town but weren't bailed out by jude harry kane showed he and Bayern haven't been slowed by oktoberfest beer and megan rapino threw on her cleats for the last time in her uswnt career my name's ryan bailey joining me today richmond virginia's very own taylor rockwell hello taylor Hello, man. I miss when Ryan Bailey isn't on the show. Your introductions cannot be matched. I can't come close. They are phenomenal, my friend. Good to see you too. Thank you very much, Taylor. Uh, <laughs> joining us, Taylor, we have uh, why, Arizona. Why did why did genuine praise make you uncomfortable? I'm British. Oh, okay, of course. My mistake. I don't, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I feel like you were expecting me to insult you, and I'm just like, no, that was just great, man. You summed it up well. In a way, that was worse. But thank you very much. Uh, all the same. Uh, Arizona Joe Lowry, uh, joining us from uh, from the continent, are you, Joe? I am, Ryan. absolutely am. I loved all of that intro as well. And my favorite part continues to be, Chelsea fans, cover your ears. Just how quickly Chelsea have descended into the punching bag of the Premier League. I think the timing, oh, fellas, is actually really good. We'll talk about Spurs more later on. And Spurs have been in that tier for so long and now, maybe more than I can remember in recent years, it feels like, oh, maybe this is maybe this is new. Maybe there's hope here. And Chelsea just took the uh, took the punching bag spot right out from under them last season and have kept it this year. I'm here for it. Mm, the, they're taking the trophyless trophy of Spursiness. Is that yes. what we're gonna say? Yep. Maybe that's, that's it. That's, that's what yeah. you're gonna say. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Joe, I hope you're having a lovely time in Rome. I did see on our Patreon, patreon.com slash total soccer show if you'd like to see our bonus content, dear listener. You went on a biking tour of Rome. I have to ask, like, do you have your affairs in order? Like have you got the life insurance sorted out? Because <laughs> I've been on bikes in that city and it's uh it's hairy. It, it was a little hairy at times. An e-bike, even more so, easier Ooh. going up the hills for sure, but also the power that's at your your feet, I guess, not your fingertips. 
means control can be a little difficult. There were like three different times that I almost fell and, and maybe severely injured myself and those around me, but I did not. Also on this tour, I won't go through all of it, but um, I was there with two Richmond Kickers fans, which is absolutely crazy, like such a small world moment. We're talking, somehow we get onto soccer. They're from Richmond, and they're Richmond Kickers fans, and it's just a, a crazy, small, tiny soccer world that we live in, and wow. it was great. The tour was good. I didn't die. Here we go. Did, uh, did, they, did you mention Taylor Rockingwell and your acquaintance with him? I did. It didn't seem like that made a, a massive. I mean, it was. Oh, no. They knew exactly who you were, Taylor. They loved you, and um, nice we're try. now all best friends. <laughs> Wait, so that's separate from my buddy Alex, who who you walked yes. past in Rome, right? Yes. So okay, it's, so it's just Richmond people have have moved to Rome as soon as Ryan left. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, we had an exchange program going. It was uh, it's well worthwhile, in my opinion. Um, Graham Rutherford not with us uh, here, but he's also um, he's also been doing some uh, some dispatches on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. He's also still putting out his Soccer Dispatch email newsletter. Subscribe to that, listener, if you haven't got it already. It's very also good. Also blonde. That yeah. was new. He's got, he's got, he, he can pull it off, though. He's got bleach really blonde can. hair. He, he can really pull can. it off pretty well. Let's give him that. Um, and I'm sure he's on his vacation watching all the games on five screens all weekend long, regardless of being on the show. Which of the three of us could least pull off blonde hair. I think it's me or Joe. I'm not sure which. Mm. Jo- I think jo- Joe with the glasses and the hair, I feel like it's it would be a strange switch. I think I think Ryan would pull it off the best. To be yeah. clear, I'm not saying Ryan should try, but I think Ryan <laughs> could pull it off the best of the three of us. So, I'll tell you one thing. I have done it before. When when we were, when me and my friends were 18, we all bleached our hair and we went on vacation together. I can specifically remember leaving the barbers after I had it done and a truck driver, no no word of a lie, out the window pointing and laughing at me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like cartoonish. It's not what you want. Like, no, it's I, really I, was, not. I was three feet outside the barber's door and that, mean, was, that was what I got. Was that, was that truck driver uh, Nelson Muntz and was it <laughs> ha ha as they drove by? Like, did it go full Simpsons for you? Yeah, I hope he's very oh, happy now. Oh, that's all I have to say, you look lovely, Ryan, and your Thanks. intros, as always, stellar. Let's get to the soccer show. Yeah, busy weekend. Why don't we start off at Soldier Field, where at least there's one winning team, eh? 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 Bears joke. <laughs> NFL stuff. Oh, yeah, good. Poor, that one that poor, one moved the needle. USWT2. <laughs> I just feel bad for them. <laughs> I know, I know. It was rough. Uh, the USWT, though, don't feel bad for them. They got a 2 new win over South Africa in the second of a series uh, from this week. Uh, Trinity Rodman and Emily Sonnet with the goals. The first, uh, the final international game for Megan Rapinoe. Uh, she provided the assist for Sonnet. Uh, Joe, if you provide the assist for Sonnet, does that make you a Sonnet co-writer? Yeah? Yes. Yes, it does. Does that so? I'm not trying to split hairs in Megan Rapinoe's send-off game. Does that count as an assist? Because she takes the corner kick, the goalkeeper pushes it away onto Sonnet's head, and Sonnet then heads it into the back of the net. Did it go down as an assist? I didn't check. Uh, yes. Yep. Yes, yeah. it did. Yep. Sure. We're gonna say that it did. <laughs> no. This the big headline of this game obviously was Megan Rapinoe's <laughs> final game. A U.S. Women's National Team legend, someone that's extremely well known in and around this sport at this point. And you had in the game before, Ryan, you mentioned this being the second game in a series for the U.S. against South Africa following up their World Cup disappointment. The U.S. is not South Africa. They did quite well at the World Cup relative to expectations. Julie Ertz retired in the first game. It was her send-off game. So this was really much more than the sporting side, although maybe we'll talk a little bit about the game and some players that we got to see in this window. 
This was the biggest story. You're in between coaches. You're not really building towards a ton. Although, credit to U.S. Soccer, they did integrate a couple of players into the program in this window. But it was about Julie Ertz and it was about Megan Rapinoe. They're two absolute legends for the U.S. Women's National Team. They're two American soccer legends. The 2019 World Cup and their performances at that tournament, I think, will go down in the memories of, of many, many U.S. Women's National Team fans and France fans as well for different reasons. But uh, a, a little bit sad to see them both retire. But also, at least from my perspective, I'm excited about what could be coming next for this program. There's so much young talent. We didn't see the roster refresh, likely because of the opportunity to send off two legends. But I'm hoping that as we inch a little bit closer to 2024, we're going to start to see some young players. So exciting times, even with some, I don't know, sadness of, of some of these players, Rapino and Ertz, retiring. Not to call you out, Joe, but is it exciting times? Like, because we feels like we're kind of in a transition, at least with these games, right? We're not, we're not yeah. in a new era yet. So, like, what am I, what am I pumped up about right now? I think, I think it's, it's less excitement. Uh, the excitement for this window was getting to see Megan Rapino try to put a ball in the back of the net, or try to put the ball on Emily Sonnet's head to put it in the back of the net, and Julie Ertz in the game before that. Like, the, that was the excitement. But the, the hope really is what is exciting right now. The hope is that U.S. soccer can find a really competent and capable manager to lead what is still an incredibly talented group of players and to bring them higher than at least where they were in this past tournament cycle and as high, hopefully, as they've been in the past if you're a U.S. women's national team fan. So maybe not, again, from a sporting perspective, the craziest games of all time, even though this was a, a pretty nice 2-0 win and the game before was a pretty nice 3-0 win. But the hope is you're building towards something that really is going to be exciting. And, and really, U.S. Women's National Team fans might not have to wait that long to get there. That's good. Taylor, you, you've uh, filled with that positivity as well, looking forward? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like hope. very similar it's to hope. how I felt about the men's program with Greg Berhalter not in charge, but seeming like he's going to take over and then being announced as taking over, but not yet in charge. It feels a bit like we're treading water and it's hard to feel like substantive change can happen until we know who the next coach will be, who that like what the program will be, what direction they'll be heading in. So for now, it's a nice send off for Ertz and Rapino, a deserved send off. It feels like maybe this is the treading water, saying goodbye, having some nice moments, period, and then we get down to kind of like the hard work thereafter. But it does feel like some progress is made, new faces added, some players continuing to look threatening. So it's a fine point to be in, but at the same time against South Africa, I feel like this is the kind of minimum that we are expecting to feel like things weren't fully just on fire. Good stuff. And of course, Mega Rapino, 203 caps, 63 goals, two World Cups, an Olympics, and of course, Taylor, the uh, cameo role on Showtime's Billions, which is the, uh, the one <laughs> I was looking out for there. That's the one. That's the one. It's. Yeah. I feel like she, she'll be remembered, if we're going to go this route for a moment, more for her off-field work, for both like the, the, the labor agreement, but then also the feud with, with, with Trump, uh, and then going to the White House after. Uh, I, if, I feel like she will be remembered a lot for her, like uh, the social side of things, the like off the ball stuff. And then I think people will go back and we'll get the think pieces about like, actually she was an incredibly good player and it's worth remembering this. Like, I think it's easy to forget how instrumental she's been for this U S team on the pitch for so long because she didn't look as good in this last world cup. Like if we're being honest, um, 
that I'll never forget the ball to the back post for Abby Wambach to head in in like the dying minutes. And and just how good she was, how good her distribution was, should not be forgotten. Like And as should not her <laughs> her work off the pitch either, because that was incredibly important and has been incredibly important. So a, a key player for the U.S. women on and off the pitch uh, deserved a send-off, deserved that ovation, deserved the assist, even if Ryan didn't want to give it to her. <laughs> oh, well, I, I wanted to because... It was more it, me. Or yeah, Joe didn't want to, excuse me. <laughs> Joe was trying to take away my Sonic co-writing joke, frankly, (laughs) and uh, I didn't want that taken away from me. All right, uh, Joe, any more on this game or should we uh, we, uh, get into the Premier League? What do you think? I'll toss in one more note before we move on. Cool to see me official come off the bench and get some minutes as a number nine in this game. Not someone that we've talked about on this show much at all before. So for listeners who, who maybe don't know, I'm guessing there are lots of folks out there that already are familiar with Fischl, but I'll give a little bit of her background and then toss out a couple of notes that I, I got from her in this game. 22 years old, from San Diego, California, went to UCLA, and then was drafted by Orlando in the NWSL in the first round, but instead then went to sign for Tigres in Liga Mex Femenil, which is awesome. Like, I love that alternate career path choice that she made there. Scored a ton, I mean a ton of goals for Tigres in Mexico, And then signed for Chelsea in August, which is, along with maybe Barcelona and Lyon at this point, kind of the sign that you are a talented young soccer player when you're signing for one of those clubs in Europe. She was pretty quiet in this game and still hasn't bedded in a a ton for Chelsea at this point, but was pretty quiet in this game. Looks like a dynamic number nine, can run the channels, can link a little bit, hunts for space in the box. I'm still not totally sure of what her level is because the level in Mexico is not especially high. Yeah, there are World Cup players and there are high-level players in Mexico, but across the board, the level is not as high as the NWSL. And the top level certainly doesn't seem to be as high as the top level of some of the major European leagues. So I'm curious to see more official with Chelsea, but this was a fun little tease to get a look at her. We didn't see Jaden Shaw in this window which is a bit bummed about, but she is awesome and is going to be a part of this team going forward. So those are the two biggest names. There's a, a one more, right, that was in this camp as well. But in general, it's fun to see some of these younger players, some newer faces come into the team, get some minutes, even if Mia Fischel didn't do a ton on the field in this game against South Africa. Exciting times ahead for the program. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's get into the North London Derby. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the Weekend Review, listener. We go now to North London, specifically the Emirates, where Arsenal drew 2-2 with Tottenham Hotspur. Pretty decent for a North London derby, I thought, this one. Uh, Tottenham coming from behind twice to earn a point here. Not a great day, Taylor, for Christian Romero with an own goal and uh, conceding the equalising penalty. Yikes, but uh, Tottenham, a very good day for them. They sit in fourth ahead of Arsenal in fifth on goal difference. And by what I'm reading on social, they won this game with this draw. 
Yeah, I think that is the way it's been perceived because Arsenal like uh, run City, the closest of any team last campaign, have the kind of year under their belt of experience, add all the players they added this summer. It felt like this is their opportunity to kick on it, and it may still well be. They may end up finishing first or second. But for Tottenham under Ange Postacoglu, a team that no one on this program saw coming and no one thought would work out as well as they did, uh, since Graham isn't here, he can't defend himself, um, <laughs> it, it's only been a few games. And so for them to come in and go toe-to-toe with Arsenal and play their game and not just sit off, not sort of scrap what they've been doing and be more conservative, they played out of the back relentlessly. <laughs> Even when Arsenal sat five and six players around the 18 and tried to force them long, Spurs were focused on playing out. Sometimes that did not work so well. Sometimes it didn't work so well for Arsenal either. Uh, one of my favorite moments of this game, weird as it may be, was a great like English crowd moment of after the third time Spurs took a goal kick short and played out of the press, to their credit, uh, they eventually were forced back and then went long, and the entire uh, Arsenal stadium like erupted in cheers and a very sarcastic, <laughs> like, ha-ha, we made you go long. And it was just such a, a nerdy, cheering moment of, like, we forced you into going long when you wanted to have possession in we your own defensive We forced you into third. a low-percentage pass. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was just such a, like, this game sort of moment. But this was an incredibly exciting game. Joe, I know you've got plenty of thoughts on this one, but just to bring my initial thoughts home, it, it was the type of game where, where both teams were playing at such high levels that when they make mistakes, they are like born of like requiring incredible technical discipline and focus. And when there was a slight mistake or in a Jorginho moment, a big mistake, they stand out that much more because when the two teams are playing so well, it, it just stands out when there are those little moments of indecision, those little errors. And so that you had those little errors becoming big errors, but then you also had technical, uh, really pretty technical play. You had good goals. This was a really engaging, engaging game from start to finish. In the fact that, that it was, right? And I think everybody who watched this game would agree with that idea. The fact that it was such a fun game and a, a relatively balanced game, I think that's one of the most interesting parts of all of this, right? We'll get into yeah. some of the tactical weeds and there are plenty of weeds to get into, But coming into this year, my personal expectations, which I think reflected what a lot of folks would think about these teams within the context of the Premier League table, is that Arsenal would be the closest team challenging City with maybe not quite actually challenging them in the same way they did last year. But they would be the next team after Manchester City and Tottenham would be sort of fighting to finish in the Champions League spots and and trying to find themselves under Ange Postacoglu. Through, you know, this point in the Premier League season, through six games, plus some other cup games, right? It doesn't seem like there's a very wide margin at all between these two teams. Obviously, this is the first real chance we get to see them face each other. But Tottenham look coherent. They look strong. They look capable of playing with some of the best that England has to offer. Arsenal look maybe a shade or two off of where they were last year, which is always a risk when you go out there and make a number of high-profile signings, right? Declan Rice starts this game comes off at halftime. Kai Havertz does not start this game, comes on at halftime. Those are big moves. They also add Gurian Timber, and he's out with a, a long-term knee injury. So he's a little bit on the side here. But Mikel Arteta and, and co. make big moves in this summer transfer window. And maybe those players are taking some time to gel. Maybe there are other factors at play. And, and also, certainly, Tottenham are stronger than I thought they would be at this point in the year. I, I'm just impressed at how narrow the, the, these two teams appear to be and how fun this game was as a, as a result. Definitely so. Taylor, uh, James Madison, after the game, he says that the Spurs are losing that Spursy tag. Um, they came back 
twice here. They had two injury time goals last week to win a game. Feels like he's got a point, does it not? It absolutely does. And I think the way that they are able to uh, come back from going two to one down where it felt like, oh, here we go. OK, Arsenal have, have found a way through. Uh, they, they've, they've gotten maybe a fortunate decision, but they've gotten the lead. Now Spurs are going to have to open up. Now Spurs are going to have to maybe overcommit and then they'll be there. Oh, no, nope, never mind. Spurs equalized. I think that they're able to do it so quickly off of an Arsenal mistake. No less. It's Arsenal having the costly moment. It's Jorginho coming on and having the costly moment that lets Tottenham back in. But it does also sort of go back to my like opening thought, which is that it didn't really require Tottenham to change fully what they were doing. I think after the first 15 minutes or so, Arsenal's legs just were a little le- a little bit less fresh and some of the pressing wasn't as tight. I thought their pressing was excellent, yeah. but I think when you're trying to press as much as they were, as high up as they were, you're just going to get tired and you're going to have moments where you're maybe a couple yards too slow, a couple seconds too slow. And Spurs, to their credit after those first 15 minutes or so, really started to get more opportunities, more possession in and around Arsenal's box. And and so, in my mind, they sort of already lost that tag in the beginning because they weren't required to change things up and go fully aggressive and throw out the game plan and try something different. It felt like they just kept playing their game and maybe could have gotten more. Maybe Arsenal could, could have gotten more. At the end of the day, though, I think it was a, a fair result given the way this match was played. Definitely so. Um Joe, the Madison and Son relationship, can we call it Sunnison? Can we get that trending? Yes, please? we can yeah, try. Good. We can try. Uh, they teamed up for both goals here. Um, it looks like, I mean, obviously Harry Kane is missed, but they are, um, they're moving on, shall we say. They are. And it right? seems like Madison is also very important for Big Angie's system too, right? I think so. Madison is obviously an extremely high quality playmaker. He's worked really well in that left half space, which is where he's popped up a lot this season. He was dropping really deep in this game and bringing Declan Rice with him. Rice was was tasked with man-marking Madison, at least in Tottenham's buildup. He's just so clean on the ball. He's so comfortable on the ball, both in deeper areas and then higher up the field when it comes to actually creating chances in the final third. And he did do some of that in this game, right? Both of Tottenham's goals, a little weird. The first one comes from Sun, but they both come from Sun. But in the 42nd minute, it's this kind of weird moment for Arsenal where they just can't clear the ball out of their box. Raya flops at it, and then they try to head it away, but Tottenham win it back, and Madison drives to the left side of the end line, cuts it back, and then Son finishes in the box. And then the second goal, 55th minute for Son, Madison picks Jorginho's pocket and plays a pretty straightforward pass to Son. but the quality is so clearly there. You see it in those moments. You see it in a couple of moments that don't actually lead to goals. Madison has been involved in so much, and Son, we know how good he is, right? We know how dangerous he can be playing as a nine in this game. He's played you know, off, off the wing in other games at, at earlier points in the season. He can do so many things. I am not yet convinced. I think I saw this as one of the, the takes for Take It or Leave It that you guys didn't end up getting to on a, on a recent episode. But I saw somebody mention, you know, Tottenham are going to be better off without Harry Kane because I, I don't remember all the reasoning for it. But, you know, Son can do the job or something along those lines. I don't think I agree with that. I would have left that take pretty hard because I think it's inarguable that this team would be better with a player like Harry Kane in it because he's just that good. But man, having Son and Madison as yeah. an attacking tandem is proving to be really, really dangerous. Will it be as good as a Son-Kane pairing was? I'm not optimistic about that. But having those two, Son and and, uh, and Madison together with a manager that has a clear philosophy, with a squad quality that has raised, I think, yeah, Tottenham are, are maybe cooking yeah. with something. 
it's tough to say they're like truly better off or ever will be truly better off. But I will say I've been very impressed by Son's uh, Harry Kane impression that he's been doing. You're right, Joe, that at times he's played out wide still when Richarlison starts up top. But in this game, he's playing in that role. And in that role, he did a very good job of sometimes yes. dropping in to link up play and create overloads in the middle. But that first goal is very Harry Kane-esque of arriving in the exact right spot in the exact right way to have just the sort of redirected instep that goes into the far far side netting. Nice. It's a great run and turn and play from from James Madison, but it's great awareness, situational awareness, positional awareness from Son to get there and finish. And then for the second goal, that that is what I think of definitively as Harry Kane of Played in, like it's a 2v1, you play him in, and now he's one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And more often than not, Harry Kane is putting that ball in. It's just like you bat, you believe he's going to finish it there. And and so much of what I think he brought to Spurs was that consistency in front of goal. Uh, so much so that when he like didn't score in three games, it was like Harry Harry Kane goal drought crisis. Um, and, and for some to score that goal just so precisely as he did when... You have so much time there. It's 1v1. You know you have the moment as the attacker of like, I better score this. I'm 1v1. I I better not overthink this. And he doesn't. He just finishes it well. So the cleverness of the run for the first goal, the precision and just calmness of the second all very much reminded me of Harry Kane for Spurs. So I I don't think they're necessarily better off, but I am very impressed by how good Son has looked in that role up top. Definitely so. Uh, Joe, my last question on this game. You mentioned the talent gap perhaps closing between these two sides. You are our prediction king. If you had to say now, who do you think finishes higher in the league? I still think Arsenal will finish higher. I have some faith, not for them to really compete for a title, because I don't really think that was ever going to be the case with how good Man City are. But I do have faith in Mikel Arteta eventually being able to find a way to fit these pieces in, to figure out how to play through Declan Rice at the base of midfield, or at least make him a really useful part of their overall structure, how to get Kai Havertz into a role that makes sense, which no manager has really figured out at this point. It's not an easy thing to do, but the talent is obvious. I think Arsenal are still the better team. I think their ceiling is still a little bit higher. But again, I continue to be impressed with what Tottenham have done so far this year under Ange Postacoglu. The quality is there. The principles are there. They've just picked up on these things faster than I thought they would. It was clear to see, right, with Celtic and and, and Ange Postacoglu, how good of a coach he was, right? The ideas were there, and obviously Celtic have a ton of talent relative to the 95% of the SPL, but you could see the ideas. You could see the principles of play. There was no doubt in my mind that Tottenham were going to have an identity under Ange Postacoglu on the field in a tactical sense, The doubt was, well, are the players good enough to adopt that style quickly to the point where they can actually compete in games like this and in the North London Derby and other games? And are the players actually good enough to execute that style in a way that truly makes this team dangerous? So far, it feels like Tottenham are trending in a really positive direction. There will be bumps in the road, but I I think the gap is going to be closer between these two teams than I thought it was, but I still think Arsenal have a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Arsenal having an edge, they had one when they forced uh, Romero to score the own goal. Joe, I just wanted to spotlight that that opener for a moment because it yeah. was so appropriate for this game. In which, as I said, like the fans were cheering a what low percentage pass? Is that what you <laughs> yeah. called it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this goal for Arsenal, I believe, starts with uh, Udogie, the the left back slash slash central midfielder for Spurs, losing the ball. Arsenal countering, Spurs winning it off of that Arsenal counter, and. Spurs then countering through Kulisevsky, 
who then has the ball stolen off of him by Zinchenko, who then counters and leads to the goal. So I believe it was a counter, counter, counter attack goal that felt appropriately hipster for this game, where it's all about countering the counter to then successfully counter that counter. Uh, they were all just very well balanced, very well poised to take advantage. Uh, so I love that goal for what it represented from this game. I've talked a lot of nice things about Tottenham. I've said a lot of nice things about Tottenham so far in this episode. I'm going to say a mean thing about Tottenham now. Uh, they're due, right? Come on, guys. They're, they're due. The defending on this goal, Taylor, you you yeah. did the, the build-up to it really well. It was one of the few moments in this game that was actually transitional. So much of the game was, early on especially, Tottenham trying to build through Arsenal's press and taking their time and Arsenal pressing ferociously, and it felt like neither team was really making up a ton of ground. This was an instance where they were both making up ground in rapid-fire fashion. Arsenal come forward through Zinchenko. Taylor, absolutely. He drives forward. He plays it centrally to Odegaard. Odegaard plays it over to Saka in the right half space, which is so often where we find Kaya Saka. Saka cuts inside, and right as he cuts inside, this is a really well-timed movement from Arsenal, so credit to them for that. White overlaps, mm-hmm. right? He's the stay-at-home right back, yeah. but he does get forward on occasion. He overlaps, and the timing is perfect to the point where it confuses Tottenham's defense, the left side of their defense. Udoge is tracking Saka at first, but as the fullback... He thinks, okay, I should be the deeper defender on my side. Then he drops with White. And as all this is happening, Brennan Johnson, the left winger for Tottenham in this game, is tracking back as he should to help with what's going on. In general, Tottenham are doing okay. But Johnson also thinks he should stick with White, who is kind of who he was tracking deeper downfield. And so all of a sudden, Udogie and Johnson are both dealing with Ben White, who is not exactly the same level of threat in the box for a couple of reasons. One, he's Ben White, and, and Bakayo Saka is Bakayo Saka. Number two, Ben White didn't have the ball, and Bakayo Saka did have the ball. So all of a sudden, Saka is now free inside the box. He hits it with his left foot. He's so good at doing that, and Christian Romero is a little unfortunate. But that's a moment where maybe the lack of chemistry shows itself a bit for Tottenham. You know, new signings on that side, still trying to deal with those moments. It was really poor defending, and if that sequence hadn't happened, maybe the result of this is a little bit different. So things are still moving for Tottenham, and hopefully for Ange Postacoglu, they'll move in a positive direction. Joe, Joe, I love you highlighting that Ben White run, but what should the Spurs defense have done when he did that? Yeah, so my my thought is that uh, Udogi had the right idea where he then drops with the the player that's closest to his own end line. So he's the defender. He's going to keep dropping back, and Johnson's then going to stick with Saka. And so then you're still one-on-one, right? But there's that little shift. If you go through and watch clips of maybe Dani Alves overlapping Messi, like you'll see defenses struggle with that combination of how to defend that. But you'll see the fullback dropping back, the winger staying a little bit higher, and you're still man-for-man. Or just open your mouth and talk, right? It doesn't have to be that way Mm. as long as you communicate and make it clear, hey, this is my man, this is your man. Even when it happens fast, you can open your mouth and actually figure it out. Yeah. I think Odogie was a very good player in this game and I think has been very instrumental in the way Spurs want to attack. Uh, I have some lingering concerns about how he defends 1v1, and I have more of those concerns after he was beaten almost every single time by Saka. Saka himself was the one who was skinned by Madison for the first goal for Spurs, but uh, Udoge won 1v1 versus Saka was... Uh, not very successful for him. So maybe also in this moment, he thinks, no, you can have him. <laughs> I'll, I'll track somebody else who isn't going to be as good on the ball. Uh, and maybe that doesn't work out so well. But I thought this was a very electrifying game from um, from Saka. And Udogie, I thought, also had a good game, just not maybe on that defensive side of things 1v1. But maybe that's also not necessarily what he's supposed to be doing in those moments. That's fair enough. And for the record, I think that sucker shot was going. I think Graham Lasseau on the commentary said it wasn't. But uh he, we've seen him, as Joe said, do that shot time and time again. And I think it was a, a Romero can um, rest assured that it was headed 
to the other post anyway. He has other things to worry about, Romero, from this game. So it's yeah, fine. Like where he's putting his hands for one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Got away with one versus Man United. I guess it, I guess you get one a season, and then you start getting called for it. That's how yeah. it works. He really Ricky Bobbied that one up, indeed. <laughs> uh, let's go around the rest of the Premier League. Chelsea <laughs> with a one 0 defeat at home to Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins with the goal there. Not long after Malagusta was sent off, he went in uh, pretty hard on Lucas Digne. Um, Raheem Sterling and Nicola Jackson both had decent chances in this one. Taylor Enzo had some good chances as well, but Chelsea failed to score in a third successive game. They stay in 14th in the league. Taylor, we, it was the first day of fall this weekend. Chelsea have had this season wins against Luton and my AFC Wimbledon. Woo! Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're a team that doesn't even have a sponsor on their shirt at the moment. <laughs> I think they spent an awful lot of money. Yeah. Has Todd Bowley done anything right? Yeah, so uh, I added this to the notes. A buddy of mine, credit to Joe uh, for this one. A different Joe. Sorry, Joe. I have I have two Joes wow. in my life. Uh, in discussing wow. why people are enjoying <laughs> Chelsea being the punching bag, he said, it's very satisfying to see the disruptor who sees market inefficiencies to exploit while also maximizing current assets just get pummeled. And that is basically what it's been for Chelsea. I think because of the way Bowley has come in, I think... The initial situation with Chelsea and Abramovich, the sort of uh, Ukraine of it all, I think factors into how people are feeling about Chelsea. Then Boldy comes in and kind of worsens things a little bit and has all these ideas about how he's going to play, including adding adding an extra player. Because 12 players, I think that gives you an advantage. And again, I was a person who thought this could be really interesting. He seems like he has good ideas. He seems like he has interesting approaches to it. And maybe a hands-on approach is going to work. It has not worked. Uh, and, And looking at this team, the craziest thing to me, the commentators pointed this out, And I agree. If you look at the benches, Villa had the stronger bench, the bench that seemed more capable of making proactive changes, certainly after Chelsea went down a man, uh, which I thought was harsh. I didn't feel like that should have been a red card. We can talk about that or not. Uh, But it's nuts to me that with the amount of money that Chelsea have spent and the players that they shipped out, they're still a very deep team. They still have tons of talent, but Villa felt like a stronger team from top to bottom. And I think that was borne out by not just the result, by the way the game was played, that Villa were good in moments in this game, good on the ball, good in possession, but also just completely disrupted Chelsea. It was crazy to me that, I believe I'm correct in saying, Chelsea offside 10 times in this game. I think all of them occur before the red card, which was in the 56th minute or so. So offside 10 times inside of an hour. And all of those were Villa stepping up at the exact right moment or applying pressure so that the ball was had to be played a little bit more directly than they wanted. It felt like Villa disrupted Chelsea pretty effectively, but then played their game plan. And then the goal, I think I clocked it from the time they win it off of the Thiago Silva miscontrol. It is just about 10 seconds they carry the ball 80 yards and score. So ruthless in the counterattack, but also I think pretty strong on the defensive side, pretty strong in possession. This was a great game from Villa, certainly not for Chelsea. Yeah, back-to-back wins at Stamford Bridge for Villa for the first time since 1933, the stats said. Yeah, that's insane, man. That's a, this game, but this game really did have it all. We had Emmy Martinez remaining a master of the dark arts uh, for the moment when uh, Nicholas Jackson. So, if people didn't see this one, Villa get a free kick just outside their own eighteen. Emmy Martinez is there to take it and has been doing a very slow job of restarting. Again, Villa trying to disrupt Chelsea, not letting them get into a rhythm, and and a lot of that was taking just a few seconds too long to restart play so the fans would get agitated, players would get agitated, and Nicholas Jackson is standing there saying, 
like, hey, let's get this game going. Let's get this game going. He gets a warning from the official to back off. And as soon as the warning is given, Emmy Martinez runs up, kicks the ball as hard as he as he can into Nicholas Jackson, who then gets a yellow for delaying the restart. And that was just such a great moment from Emmy Martinez, master of the dark arts of I'm going to slow it down. So you get frustrated. You then stand in front of the ball. Then I get to kick the ball at you as hard as I want. And then you get a booking for it. That was textbook Emmy Martinez uh, in this game. Uh, and, and so I thought that was that was pretty solid on the whole. I did not think the red card was. Uh, I understand why when you go to VAR, it's going to look worse. It's always going to look bad when the boot comes high. But to me, um, Augusto, going in for the sliding challenge, uh, he doesn't come in through. It's not a stiff leg. Like, it's not a straight leg so that it could break a leg. It, he kind of comes around with it at the last second, in my mind. Go, gets the ball first, goes over the ball and into the shin. And so to me, that's reckless. That's not dangerous, though. And I feel like that the yellow would have been appropriate there. And part of that is that I think I knew at that point that it was going to be Chelsea backing off and, and trying to kind of change what they were doing. It felt like it was going to be a less entertaining game, and that's pretty much how that played out. So that felt harsh to me in the moment, but the result did not. I felt like it was a deserved win for Villa. Yeah, agreed there. Uh, a potentially deserved win for Man United at Burnley as well. Bruno Fernandes with a stunner of a goal, although not my favourite goal of the weekend. We'll get to that shortly. But uh, Johnny Evans with the assist on his 200th United appearance. He also had a disallowed goal in this one. Mm. I kept seeing his name come up on my FOTMOB app. I was like, Jesus, Johnny Evans all over this game. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> he ended the run of three straight defeats. Um, first league win since late August for Man United. Finally, a clean sheet as well. Uh, Hannibal looking pretty good in this one as well, yeah. Taylor. Yeah, I mean, always, always interesting when you say Hannibal looking good. Uh, but, but in this game, yes, he he was. Uh, there has been much like joy about this result for Manchester United fandom. I would just say beating Burnley is not where I thought we would be for this Man United team in terms of like, yeah, we're doing it, we figured it out. But Johnny <laughs> Evans, the legend that he is, getting the assist, getting the disallowed goal. Bruno gave him the Man of the Match award after the game. Uh, so some positive vibes there, some positive momentum for Manchester United. Joe has a finger in the air, which means he's going to smash that momentum now. Go ahead, Joe. Nope, Taylor, I want to make you happy because it felt like you pulled a me there with saying something, but saying it very slowly and carefully, which implies uh, a certain, obviously a measured tone, but also maybe a, a lack of general positivity about the thing you're talking about. What? On the other side... What? Taylor is someone who spends a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about the U.S. men's national team. Luca Coliosho, who is, I think, like a, a quad national for Burnley. The U.S. is one of those countries, along with Canada, Italy, and I think there's one more in there somewhere. This kid is You are correct. Good. There's and looks, looks like he could turn into something. He's not the finished product just yet. He seems pretty comfy in the Italy national team setup right now. I'm obviously doing some espionage work while I'm here and trying to tell everybody how bad he is. Just kind of sway the tide a little bit, but someone for U.S. men's national team fans to watch more of this season because I, I think he is still not uh, outside of the USMNT's grasp. He's wow. eligible to represent the United States, Canada, Nigeria, and Italy. He was born and raised in the United States to a Nigerian father and an Italian-Canadian mother. There you go. Boom. Wow. Quad national. I like that as a just a nice phrase in general. From Connecticut, which I did not quad. see coming. I mean, um, 
England has a calf national in Jack Grealish and they potentially got a quad <laughs> national. Very nice. All the leg covered. Uh, Sheffield United nil, Newcastle eight. Uh, the biggest away league, a joint biggest away win for Newcastle in the league. Um, the biggest ever defeat in the league for the Blades here. The first time the Premier League has had eight different scorers in a Premier League match. We had Anthony Gordon very much in messy mode. He had a nice goal for the fifth one here. Um, I didn't watch this game live, but apparently Sheffield United starting it more brightly than Newcastle as well. So quite the turnaround for them. They are in a little bit of trouble this year, I would suggest. Uh, Man City, they're not in trouble. I would, suge- I would suggest that a little bit is maybe an understatement. <laughs> maybe a little bit. I mean, the, uh, hey, the old... But you know what? This result means that Luton jumped two places. They're in 18th, man. They get their first point of the season and they're now in 18th because Burnley and Sheffield United have vastly uh, inferior goal differences. So well done, Luton, 18th. Still not out of the relegation places. And I say vastly different. Luton, negative eight. Burnley, negative nine. Sheffield, negative 12. So maybe not that vastly different. Well, congrats once again to Luton. They got a 1-1 mm-hmm. draw with Wolves, their first point of the Premier League. Uh, Wolves were with 10 men for most of the game, so Luton should have got a point out of this, really. Yeah. Um, Jean-Marie Le Bellegarde was sent off for kicking Tom Lockett in the gentleman's lunchbox. It was <laughs> quite the moment. Um, <laughs> Man City with a 2-0 win over Nottingham Forest. Harland and Foden with the goals there. A Rodri, crucially, with a straight red in this one, putting his hands around Gib White's necks. neck. Excuse me, singular. Not a good idea there. Bit out of character for Rodri as well. Usually a calming presence, I think. But crucially, he does miss the games against Wolves, against Arsenal coming up in two weeks. And Brighton as well, Joe. Rodri's just never recovered from when Graham called him a wet wipe on Twitter. I think that's still (laughs) what's happening right now. It's just been a direct downward spiral for Rodri ever since that tweet. It has indeed. Dude. This game was, for me, uh, my my dad was over as this game was happening. And it was such an insight into how confusing the Premier League can be. Because he's like, Manchester City, they have have a lot of money, right? And I was like, yeah, they do. Nottingham Forest, they don't have any money? Well, uh, no, they've got money. They're spending money. Oh, so they're a rich team? Nah, I mean, comparatively speaking, yes. But in terms of the Premier League, no. So they're not very good? No, they're not good now. But they were good? Uh, Yeah, they won the European Cup twice. Like, it's a very (laughs) weird situation of like, yeah, they spend more money than any team in the Bundesliga, but they're also not a particularly good team. But then they are good. It's all very odd. The Premier League is strange, but Man City remain very good. They do indeed. Uh, Liverpool looking very good as well, Taylor. 3-1 win over West Ham. They are unbeaten in 18 games in all competitions now. Salah, Nunes and Jota with the goals. Uh, I think... Nunes, I like this goal better than the Bruno goal. Is that a controversial opinion, Taylor? It was the McAllister overhead ball, which uh, Nunes sort of hit on the volley. Why do you like You'd... it more? Over the shoulder pass. Yep. Um, for similar first touch volley, just like I thought it looked more beautiful. That's my hey, opinion. Whatever you find more beautiful, Ryan, <laughs> as long as you're finding things beautiful, that's what's most important. That's what we're all here for, just to find some beauty in this world, Taylor. Uh, it's not also <laughs> not my favorite goal of the weekend. We're still going to get there. Such a um, tease. I know. It's a long form tease right here. There we go. There we go. So it's all about the dramatic build up. Brighton 3, Bournemouth 1 as well. Comeback win for Brighton. Uh, Robert Deservey said this was um, the worst performance in Brighton's time uh, during his time there. He's just been there just over a year. Okay. All right. All right, all right. Yeah. That's a very pep yeah. thing to do. Like, yeah. oh, we won, but it wasn't impressive enough. I don't like it. <laughs> we all had Man City, Liverpool, Brighton, and Tottenham as our top four, right? Correct. Everybody saw yeah, that. No one coming. go back and listen to that episode. Just trust <laughs> us. That's true. Yeah, just trust that. Don't listen to the Bowley episode of the big thing where we said how amazing he would be from the outset as well. Yeah. All good. All good. <laughs> uh, Everton got a 3-1 win at Brentford. First win for Everton there. And as I mentioned, Luton with the 1-1 uh, draw with Wolves for their first point of the Premier League. Why don't we? 
take a little break. When we come back, the Madrid derby and much more from around the continent, including a game that was postponed because of flares and fireworks. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show weekend review. We go now to the Wondonara Metropolitano. Atletico Madrid 3, Real Madrid 1. Morata with a brace here and Antoine Griezmann stepping up for Atleti. Tony Kroos with the consolation for Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham didn't come through with the injury time winner as he has done in the previous two games for Real Madrid. Uh, he did put in a fairly petulant foul on uh, Correa at the end. He completely sideswiped him, which was... Uh, I don't know how I feel about that kind of behaviour, but uh, Taylor, essentially we had Atleti doing Atleti things here, breaking up play, tactical fouls, patient build-up, uh, and Real Madrid not quite having the game plan together, maybe a personnel issue, not quite sure. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I felt like this was definitely a personnel issue for Real Madrid, exemplified by the opening graphic from ESPN, which had them in a 4-1-3-2 with Bellingham up top alongside Rodrigo. I think when the game kicked off, it was... Something more akin to a four-two-three-one with Bellingham on the left, but then oftentimes staying more, uh, more forward. Rodrigo drifting off to the right, but I think that oftentimes meant that Madrid. The commentators pointed this out early and often. Steve McManaman on the broadcast saying that there was no real focal point for Madrid's attack, and and so they would they would try to possess, they would try to play on the counter, they would try to have some hold-up play, but none of it really worked. They have to make changes at halftime as a result, and and I think an interesting thing in this game was that Atleti, to your point, Ryan. Played the game that we expect. They come out in the back three. At times, that's a 5-4-1. At times, it's like a 5-5 because Morata was dropping very deep to defend. And again, credit to Steve McManaman, who, uh, the, the color commentator in this one, for saying after Atleti scored, they went into a much more of a defensive posture, very deep, very defensive, really trying to frustrate Madrid. And his point was... I don't know if you need to do that against this Real Madrid team. If you're Atleti, there's tons of talent in this Atletico Madrid team uh, through the midfield, through the attack, especially in defense, especially out wide. And so sitting off, I think, is a mistake that Atletico have made time and time again in, in this fixture when it feels like they can get something out of it, when they go 1-0 up or when it feels like Madrid are there for the taking. Sitting off and being reactive can work, but it can also invite Madrid on, and it's a Madrid team that oftentimes end up making something happen. And so when they score that first goal, it felt like, oh, here we go. They're going to sit off. They're going to, go, they're going to let Real back in. And then as the half goes on, there's just a few moments of like, oh, we, we can have possession? Like, we can play? Oh, no one's going to challenge us out wide? And Atleti get that second goal. Yep. Madrid pull one back just before halftime, and it felt like, oh, here we go. Real pull one back just before halftime, I should say. And it felt like, oh, maybe this is going to be it. And that Atleti then come out and smash them and get the goal in the 46th minute to make it 3-1. to one. It was an interesting game to me in that when Atletico tried to take the game to Real Madrid, Real Madrid had very few answers, especially out wide where there were consistent overloads that Atletico were capable of exploiting. Yeah, yeah, not an ideal personnel grouping for Real Madrid. It was very Barcelona-y in, in that they had like 87 different central midfielders right? out on the field together. 
Taylor, I, I think your your points about the shape, it was Bellingham at, up top at times, drifting off to the left at other times. Rodrigo then drifting off to the right, and there's no one centrally, really. Luka Modric just playing as the number 10 in this game, but he's not a focal point. Real Madrid lacked that. But in every game this year that they played without Joselu, they've lacked that, right? Whenever it's it's Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo up there together, neither one of those players is a nine. They're both wingers playing centrally, which can work really well. We've seen it work really well time and time again for Real Madrid. But there are games, especially against a physical team like Atletico Madrid, where you do miss having someone who can play with their back to goal, where you yep. do miss having someone who can bring others into the game. Now, the counterpoint to that is if you have so many central midfielders, and I count it as five, if you count uh, uh, Valverde as one of that group, I mean, the idea is, okay, we don't need a nine. We can keep the ball moving so quickly and use our movement so well that we can pull those players out of position and just tiki-taka our way through, which is not a very Real Madrid thing. But when you have almost 11 of the world's best players out there on the field together, you're going to get a lot of good soccer. It just didn't quite come together for Madrid. For for Real Madrid, there's there's me doing it after you yep. did it, Taylor. For, I think the reason you mentioned at the end of, of kind of your, your thoughts there, Taylor, defensively, Real Madrid got hit in the mouth twice in the first 20 mm -hmm. minutes of this game. Both goals come from Atletico Madrid's left side. The first one's a cross in from the left. Alvaro Morata finishes inside the box. The second goal is a cross in from the left. And Tuan Griezmann finishes inside the box. The two forwards for Atletico Madrid both finding goals early on in this game. If you play this match 100 times, that probably doesn't happen in most of them. But at that point, Real Madrid are behind the eight ball, and it's harder to pull Atleti out of position, mm -hmm. harder to find space in the attack. It felt like this one unraveled fairly quickly for Real Madrid, and it's not one they're going to want to remember. The third goal also across from Saul that Morata heads home, so a similar style of goal. And to me, that was also very confusing because Ancelotti is a, is a manager who I think of as being very smart in letting the players play and letting them figure things out, but then also setting the team up to capitalize on vulnerabilities while preventing any from sort of being on display for his own side. And in this game, that... If we want with if we want to say like just for sake of argument a four two three one shape for Real, it also felt like a very narrow four two three one with both the fullbacks tucked inside that gave Fede Valverde a lot of room to operate out wide, but also he was functioning as another central midfielder. So there's no real width at all. So every time Atleti would run into any sort of congestion or issue, they would just ping a ball out, usually to Lino out wide on the left or Molina out wide on the right. And there's nobody from Real within 15 or 20 yards. And so by the time someone goes to close that player down, there can be an overlap or an underlap or that player can cut inside. And then you're either at best in a 1v1 and you're hoping to shut them down or just let them cross the ball or oftentimes worse in a 2v1 where the ball goes back out wide and then there's an uncontested cross or an uncontested dribble into the box. The shape from Real was a huge problem in this game, both on the defensive side and the attacking side. Once again, making very clear that they really did not want to lose Kareem Benzema this summer. That they they very, as I understand it, the plan was to keep him for one more year, uh, give him a short term deal so that you can then get Kylian Mbappe next summer. That was the planning. Saudi Arabia made that impossible with the salary offer they, they made to Benzema. Uh, and so he leaves. Hosselu meant to be that replacement, but not at that level, doesn't have the familiarity. And this was a game where I think if Benzema is there, Maybe it's not wholly different, but I think he gives you that focal point. He he has so much familiarity with his Madrid teammates, with how they want to play and the connection between them, that I think he would have been a, he would have made a massive difference. It's one of those games where I watch it and think they're missing him and I'm not sure how they replace him. Yeah. 
Following this game on social, by the way, while it was happening, I kept getting really confused as to why so many people were praising the assistant referee. Why, why, why does this keep happening? They keep saying the Lino is really good. Lino's having a great game. Oh, oh right, yeah, Samuel Lino, <laughs> that will be. But that that was due to obviously, as you mentioned, Taylor, the uh, the whip uh, issue yeah. that Real Madrid had. It was he, he and, the, and and the right sided um, fullback were having a, a good time in this game. Um, Joe, I presume you did your bike tour with your Real Madrid uh, leader before. After we did this game. We did or so before. You did it before. We did it before this game. Uh, the game happens last night, my time. And I kid you not, uh, my wife and I are walking around Rome earlier today. And in the entire city of Rome, who do we run into? But the leader from our tour from yesterday, the Real Madrid fan. We didn't see him long enough. He was on a bike, sadly. For me to talk smack, Barca win thanks to Jay Wow um, in their game earlier <laughs> this this weekend. Yeah. Real Madrid lost, um, <laughs> but. It felt like that was an appropriate moment to see him yet again after Madrid lost. Oh, bless. Uh, not only did Barcelona win, Joe, they came back from 2-0 down in the 81st minute against Celta Vigo. An incredible, outrageous comeback. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Robert Lewandowski with a brace and Jewel Cancelo with the winner. Uh, elite mentality is back at the not Camp Nou. If you guys have 30 seconds, anyone out there listening, Taylor Ryan, whoever, Go look up the J-Wow, J- Jao Cancelo post-game interview. Uh, I believe what it's from this happening? game. It what looks is like, happening, Joe? It looks like he is turning into a vampire before our very eyes. I don't know if this is some what we do in the shadows type of stuff going on here. Go watch it. Everyone That's... will understand immediately what I mean. It is terrifying. That is charitable of you because I was going to go with if you if anyone has ever seen the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, the kind of live concert uh, movie they made where everyone is very clearly on sub-substance or another. Joe Cancelo has a lot of, like, big eyes while a person is talking, and then it's he's got a lot of strange facial expressions that if I were... I'm trying to say this without getting the fire truck of lawyers involved. If I were the like the doping agent, I would just be like, that guy. <laughs> Get him in. I want to see what's going on here. Wow. Similar to the Maradona thing in 94. I'd just be like, well, I have some questions for the dude who cannot blink. Let's get him in and see what's going on. Okay, yeah, let's park the fire truck for now. I won't say what I was going to say, but we'll go to um, just another uh, Liga scoreline I wanted to mention. Girona, a second in the league at the moment. A 5-3 win over Mallorca at home for them. Uh, they've won their last five. They're undefeated. Checks who they're owned by. City Football Group. Okay, yeah, that's uh, uh, some progress that Girona are making in La Liga. We go to the Bundesliga, whereby Munich had a lovely old time in Oktoberfest. A 7-0 win over Bochum. Uh, I was running the stats on this on Friday. Uh, Bochum were beaten 7-0 by Bayern in 2021 and in 2022. Now, in 2023, it's an annual festivity no way. for them. Yeah, That's yeah. crazy. Mad, wow. right? Incredible. And uh, Harry came with a hat-trick in this one. He set a club record for the most goals by a player in his first five Bundesliga matches. He's now on seven. That puts him above Gerd Müller, Miroslav Klose, Mario Mandzukic, etc. Uh, very, very good start, Taylor, for, uh, for, for Mr. Kane. It has been, although uh, also a very, very good start for Bayer Leverkusen, the team that is nearest and dearest to my heart <laughs> and I love forever, uh, who also won and are level on points, uh, have a slightly inferior goal difference, but Bayer Leverkusen continue their winning ways, probably should uh, give the spotlight to, to Harry Kane and Bayern for that 7-0 win. Pretty emphatic when people are doubting Thomas Tuchel and have concerns about the way he has his team set up to go out there and, and do this and have Harry Kane get the goals and the assists. It's, it's a pretty strong, strong result for them. I feel like yep. that's probably a confidence builder. 
I think so. And also keeping a clean sheet. I wasn't expecting a clean sheet in this game. I was expecting a beat yeah. down for Bochum, but given three goals against that Man United team midweek, etc. I thought, yeah, like a fo- you, you were expecting like a, a bad football game, like seven to three or something like that. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one in my book. But uh, yeah, uh, a, a very impressive win for Bayern. And as you mentioned, Leverkusen with a 4-1 win over Heidenheim, newly promoted Heidenheim. Uh, they were above uh, Bayern, but now your beloved Leverkusen slipped behind on goal difference. As uh, newly promoted powerhouse Heidenheim. Anything we can do to make Bayer Leverkusen seem that much more impressive? Heidenheim is the, one of the most fun team names to say. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the double H. It's just fun. Heidenheim. It sounds like a greeting. Anyway, uh, Dortmund with a 1-0 win over Wolfsburg as well. Marco Royce with the goal there. Quick look at Serie A where uh, Sassuolo got a 4-2 win over Juventus. I don't know if you guys caught the highlights of this one. Uh, the Chesney, Wojcik Chesney had uh, a horrible game in this one. A few errors. He parried a couple in. And then there was an own goal at the end where he was completely off his line and made no attempt to get back and salvage a, a pass back into his own net. It was a disaster. He, he had a whoopsies. He did something not good in this game. Uh, four two blocks for Juventus. <laughs> that's a, that's where I'll leave it. Uh, Milan with a one 0 win over Verona. Rafael Leal with the goal there. A nice bounce back from the derby last week for Milan. Best goal of the weekend, as Claxon. Let's sound it. It came from Inter with their one 0 win over Empoli. Federico De Marco. If you haven't seen this goal, guys, check it out. It's a uh, edge of the box, floating, rising volley, sort of diagonally up into the top corner. Taylor, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it was I have not. just imagine peak Paul Scholes when he used to hit from the edge of the box and it would sort of backspin into the top corner. It was that. It was. Oh. It melted my heart. Are you watching right now, Jim? I'm watching it right now. That was right? a live reaction to me watching this goal. Right? Um, it is a phenomenal strike. That's one that you hit, Ryan. Woof. And I, I have never hit a ball yep. quite like that before, but you hit it and think, I will never do that Woof. again. That felt so good and so pure. That is an incredible finish. It, it's the. Like, laziness is the wrong word, but it's just how casual the strike itself is, where it feels like he put very minimal effort behind it and unleashed a rocket. It's how little power is behind it combined with how fast the ball goes into the back of the net. What a hit. Good call, Ryan. That's goal of the weekend. It is indeed. Thank you for agreeing with that one. Check it out, listen, if you haven't seen it. Federico DiMarco for Inter. Uh, Napoli are seven points off the pace. They had a nil-nil uh, draw with Bologna. And Roma also drew with Torino. Romelu Lukaku with a goal in that one. Shall we go to MLS real quick? Uh, Leo Messi, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba did not play in the Sunday night uh, draw with Orlando that uh, Inter Miami had. Joseph, uh, bad news? Yes? Yeah, especially given that there's a U.S. Open Cup final against the Houston Dynamo on Wednesday evening coming up this week. And basically every game is a critical game for Inter Miami in terms of their playoff uh, hopes. It is not clear whether or not they're going to be able to get that job done. They're bringing it down to the wire and, and fitness and issues on that side of things make it even murkier. If I was a betting man, I would probably bet against them climbing above that playoff line between now and what I think they've got five games remaining in the season. But who knows? They've got some good games coming up against, you know, potential playoff foes or teams that are fighting around the bubble with them. So we'll see what happens there for Inter Miami, but not a a really a performance they or Orlando will necessarily want to remember in a 1-1 draw. The same goes for LAFC and the Philadelphia Union, a rematch of last year's MLS Cup final. Uh, maybe we could just cut to the clip of Graham and I talking about that game from last year in the final instead of anything <laughs> about this game. It was not good. I believe it had the lowest XG total in 
the data era of Major League Soccer, which goes back at least a decade at this point. Not a good match. Some bad weather as well. Steve Terundolo in a nice uh, rain jacket at some point in this match, but not one that anybody is really going to care to go back to. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, I don't care to go back and watch the highlights of Cincy getting a 3 0 win over Charlotte either. They are top of the East still. Uh, St. Louis top of the West with their 2 1 win at Minnesota as well uh i have i have a question that came from the aforementioned friend joe uh for joe joe do you have any thoughts on what portland have been doing um i assumed it was sort of like a a portland homer asking this question and they'd won a game or two they beat colorado on the weekend but i think they've won four of their last five or maybe five of the last five unbeaten in the last five at the very least uh with wins along the way against some pretty quality opponents is it was Gio Savarese like giving them all like sleepy time medicine when he was meant to be giving them daytime medicine? What what do you feel, if anything, is to credit or blame for the way things have gone? Daytime medicine? Yeah, well, I don't know what's going on here. Are we talking day day cool, Michael? Michael. What's yeah, maybe, okay, maybe he was right. taking the wrong one, you know? Um okay. first of all, I refuse cocaine. to accept I'm this. Sorry premise. About cocaine, Ryan. I, I refuse <laughs> I refuse to accept the premise that you have another friend named Joe. Um if we gave Graham a lot of flack for reviewing soccer with other people, I just cannot let this stand. Um, you know, setting- actually, I'm going to interrupt for a moment. He's Joe now. I feel like in college he was Joey. Joe, were you ever a Joey? Yeah. I cannot a, imagine as a, young, you as, a Joey. as a young, young human, I was Joey at one point, yes. Weird. Like a young kangaroo. Yeah, that's did exactly you, right, Ryan. Like, did the glasses go on, and then you're like, I am no longer Joey? Or do no, or do gl- glasses accentuate the Joey? I've had glasses since I was basically a, a baby, a toddler. So uh, I was Joey, I'm guessing, you know, maybe a little bit before I had him. glasses, and then I kept them, and... Now that the Y has faded over time. Anyway, setting all that aside, because I can't stand to think of this treachery anymore. uh, Portland have (laughs) changed a few things since Gio Savarese was fired. Now under an interim manager, they're playing in more of a 4-3-3 rather than a 4-2-3-1. They've tucked Santi Moreno inside as a free eight. And so he and often it's been Evander. It wasn't over the weekend against Colorado. But they've been playing almost next to each other in front of a single pivot number six. Basically, they have nothing to lose, right? They're still very much in playoff contention. They're on the right side of the line right now. And I'm expecting this team to make the playoffs, but they haven't had a lot to lose over the course of this season now, especially that Gio Savarese is no longer a part of the organization. They've gone a little more aggressive in their personnel, in their tactical approach. I think it's paid off. I don't think they're a real contender, to be honest, in the Western Conference, but we're starting to see, yeah, there is quality in this team, even if it's not quite to the level of some of the other teams at the top of the West or the top of the East. That makes sense. Thank you for that thoughtful and incisive answer. But if I were to tell you that Portland and Jao Cancelo have the same doctor, would you have more or fewer concerns? Uh, probably more, just because yeah. I don't think that guy should have a medical license. But you know what? Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, Motley Crue also have the same doctor. Uh-oh. I heard, yeah. There we go. Okay, let's go finally to uh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Ajax and final with their big, big rivalry game. Final, but 3-0 up, Taylor. Then what happened? Uh, not not good things. Flares on the pitch again. I feel like we talked about this multiple times last year. Yeah. And Joe, part of the reason why I put this in the running order, was it Ajax that we had the question about last year? That was like, at this point in the season, who would you back to win the Eredivisie? Yes. yes. And I think we all said, like, we're not watching a ton of it, but based on past being precedent, we assume it will be Ajax. And I feel like we are directly responsible for cursing them. Uh, because from that point on, uh, they go on a slide. They sacked uh, Alfred Schroeder, who is the replacement for Eric Ten Hag. They sacked him in January with Ajax in fifth. Uh, they end up finishing third under John or Johnny uh, Heitinga. Uh, so that's good enough for Europa League, not enough for Champions League, which is a pretty 
big fall for a club like Ajax to be in the Europa League. This season, they've only won one from their first four uh, league games. They started their Europa League uh, fixtures off with a 3-3 draw against Marseille. But it's just been uh, poor on the pitch, poor off the pitch. And so uh, the frustration boiled over. 3-0 at home. Flares thrown on the pitch. The match is abandoned. Talk of it being rescheduled and finished later on but to me when all of your supporters are throwing fire onto the field it feels like maybe (laughs) just call that one and give it a three no win for Feyenoord Uh, but some big concerns for Ajax and I would say for the Dutch FA as well it's another sort of moment of fans disrupting the match not allowing it to be finished showing their displeasure in pretty fiery ways and and that also not the best of looks but uh a a rough game for Ajax and it's worth noting that I I think away fans have been banned in this fixture since 2009 so there was no sort of back and forth there wasn't anything Feyenoord were doing Feyenoord fans not involved this was just Ajax supporters uh visually showing their frustration with the way things have gone for a team uh, like Ajax who should be near the top but at present are 14th I think in the Eredivisie table I would just like to say, um, last year when we got that listener question, I did yep. my research and was wrong. Um, so I, I was like yep. coming through the betting odds. I was coming through the projections from 538, rest in peace. I, I was doing the dirty work. Um, and so maybe yep. uh, maybe everybody, Taylor cursed you and I did not. And his email is taylor at totalsoccershow.com for any IX fans that are angry. Thank you. Uh, math nerd at totalsoccershow.com is Joe's. And it's I Ryan's would just email. say that yep, maybe yep. what we learned is that uh, research is a bad idea and just don't do any research yeah. and, and shoot from the hip and what can go wrong uh, unless you're <laughs> shooting from the hip with flares, in which case don't throw those on the pitch. Indeed, don't do that. Uh, this type of behavior is not part of IX, said a club statement. And I'm there like Thor going, isn't it though? <laughs> it feels like it is at this point. Feels like it is. Yeah. Feels like it's a thing that y'all do when you get mad. Yeah. CGS and riot police for home fans. Not the kind of thing you want to see, particularly in there. Too many abandoned games in the Eredivisie. But there we are. We have reviewed the weekend. Taylor Rockwell, good weekend. Lots of good goals, including that really good one in Syria. Yes, sir. Thank you for pointing that one out. I enjoyed that one. I'm going to go watch it several more times. Do it. Joe Lowry, enjoy the rest of your time in Italia, please, sir. Heidenheim. I'm hoping Heidenheim's like ciao, where it can be like a greeting and a, a parting. Um, or Aloha, because you said it was a greeting earlier. So Heidenheim to you, Ryan. Thank you, Heidenheim to you both. Heidenheim to you, listener. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!